this morning. Well, it has been so good to be back, uh, to be with you, to, 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 to hug you, to greet you, and most of all, to get to worship with you and to look at God's truth together, the truth that holds us fast, the truth that keeps us moving forward. And just last weekend, we started a three-week series leading up to Easter on the infamous 23rd Psalm. This powerful psalm that most of us have heard for sure, many of us could probably quote from memory, people from all walks of life, religious and the most irreligious people even, know the 23rd Psalm, sometimes quote the 23rd Psalm. And it's so well known that sometimes I think we glaze over it and we miss the rich truth that it holds. And so for these weeks, we've been picking it apart verse by verse to say, what did David really mean when he first wrote these words? And what does it then mean for you and I today? And last weekend, Pastor Jay launched us into this powerful psalm, and we looked at the first three verses. Would you just read them with me? All right, we'll put them up on the screen for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All right, now just pause there for a moment. That, David paints such a glorious, beautiful, tranquil picture here. This deep sense of peace, contentment, the greener pastures, the still waters. And I thought to myself, man, if, if, if that's all that it meant to have Jesus as your Savior, to make Jesus the shepherd of your life, I think, man, who would not want that, right? Who doesn't want greener pastures? Who doesn't want still waters? Who doesn't want a deep sense of contentment no matter what is going on in your life? Who would say no to that? And I wish that that was only the only part or the only effect of following Jesus. Because what we see in the very next verse is kind of like a reality check for all of us. And this is what David goes on to say. He says, even though, even though, David says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David is, in this psalm, giving his own personal testimony. He says, I've made the Lord my shepherd and the he, he, he's making me lie down in green pastures, and he's leading me beside still waters. He's restoring my soul. But then he reminds us something important. He's leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I think, man, so, so often we think that God leading us along the right path will be an easy path. But it's not 
And that's why David says, even though. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David was, he's reminding us that even if we make the Lord our shepherd, if, if God himself is leading our lives and we're faithfully trying to follow him, it doesn't mean that the righteous path won't also lead us through what David calls the valley of the shadow of death. The, the phrase that's used here in the original language, it's, it's not just a reference to death itself. In fact, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about death, death really is a representation of separation, the separation of the soul from the body. That's what death is. And death is any sort of separation, any sort of tearing. And it can be represented in a lot of different ways. The, the, the original phrase means a a death-like shadow, a, a deep shadow, a black gloom, a deep darkness, a thick darkness. I wonder, have you been through a deep, dark valley in your life? I bet you have. And if you haven't, you will. Because we live in a, in a broken world with a bunch of broken and sinful people. And stuff happens. For, for, for some of you, your deep, dark valley, it, it might be a relational rift. Maybe it's your marriage is in a deep, dark valley right now. And it feels like there's no joy or there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Or it might be a relational rift with another family member, one of your kids, an adult child, another family member. Maybe it's a relational rift with a close friend and something, is, something happened and it's just, it's a mess and it, it just feels like you're in this deep, dark valley. Or maybe it's a relationship with a, with a co-worker and man, it's just like you're always at odds now and it used to be so good and it used to be so easy and you just feel like there's this deep cloud looming over your relationships, whatever it is. Or maybe for some, it's the lack of a relationship. You're like, man, I'd, I'd love to have some relationship problems. I'd love to just have a relationship. I'm still single. I'm still waiting. Or I'm single again. Or maybe it has nothing to do with marital status. And it looks from outside appearance like you've got all the Facebook friends and Instagram followers you could want, but deep down inside, you still feel just alone. And you're in a dark cloud of loneliness. Or for some people, the deep, dark valley is an illness or a disease. It might be physical medical, it might be mental, emotional, it might be a recent diagnosis, and man, it just, it thrusts you into the valley where it's dark and scary. Or maybe it's a financial hardship. Your, your deep, dark valley has been or is currently, you know, sometimes it, it the deep, dark valley might be a place that we've been. It might be a place that you're in right now. Worse yet, sometimes the deep, dark valley, the, the valley of the shadow of death, it feels like 
You're still trying to move forward and you're making progress, but the shadow, it's like it just follows you. And no matter how far you go forward or how fast you run or how you try to escape it or break through it, it just continues to loom. And for some, it might be a financial thing and it might be a job loss. It might be overwhelming medical bills. I don't know what it is for you. Or worse yet, probably the worst. Maybe your deep, dark valley is seeing one of your kids or your or grandkids go through something and you just feel so utterly helpless like you can't do anything to make it better. Lisa and I, we have never been in this place before. Our son's been sick. He's 15. He was supposed to enter into high school years, you know, and And we spent 16 days at Rainbow Babies Children's Hospital. and Even there, we, we, we didn't leave with any answers. And he's home now, but he can't go to school yet. And we are, we are in the valley. We're still there. Here's what I'm learning about the valley of the shadow of death. When, it, when it's dark and scary and it doesn't feel like there's answers. As I research shadows, you, here's the good news about being in the shadow. You know that there's no possible way for there to be a shadow unless there is light. See, a shadow is formed when light is shining, but there's an object. There's something that's, it's just, it's blocking the light. It doesn't mean that there is no light. You need to hear that. I needed to hear that. It does not mean that there is no light. It just means something is getting in the way. And so you're living down here, and it's not utter darkness, but it might be real dark. It might be a dark shadow. It might be like, man, there's, there must be barely any light. Or the object that's in the way, it's just so big, so heavy, so weighty, that all you feel is the gloom. But you can't have a shadow in utter darkness. In fact, if you're living in the shadow, in the deep, dark valley, it's actually proof that there is light. And I think that's why David could say, even though. <laughs> David said, the Lord's my shepherd and he's leading me. And he's leading me in righteous paths. But even though, he said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You see, it's scary, it's dark. In the shadow. I had a friend I was talking to recently, and they said, you know, I'm afraid of the dark. He said, I, I still sleep with a light on every single night. He said, but in reality, it's not the dark that I'm afraid of. It's what I don't know is there in the dark. 
It's what I worry about, what I can't see. It's not the dark that I'm afraid of. It's what's hidden in the dark that makes me afraid. And yet David, he said, because the Lord was his shepherd, he said, I will not fear. And what he says next is so key. He says the reason why he doesn't have to fear, and, and this is a pivot in the, in, the, in the text, in the psalm. David moves from testifying and talking about God to, to others and to us. The Lord's my shepherd, and he'll do this, and he'll do this. And now he says, and you are with me. You see, David turns from talking about God to talking directly to God. I love the way that Lloyd Stiley puts it. He says, we're more prone to talk about God when we're in the green pastures. And we're more prone to talk to God when we're in the dangerous ravine. He says, <laughs> he says uh, in the light, we're prone to wander off in pursuit of greener grass. But in the dark, we hug his knee. Man, I'm... I'm learning this. I'm living this right now. We're just grasping, grasping to God in the deep, dark valley. And David says, I don't have to fear right now because you're with me. See, this is the amazing thing, guys. We... We so many times get this picture of a God that's out there, and yeah, we know He loves us, and you know He sent Jesus and all that, and you know, but He's 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 God, and I mean He's busy, and and yeah, sometimes you know, He'll maybe He'll give us a little blessing or no, this David's reminding us, this is a, the God that walks with us in the valley. He doesn't peer from the mountain and say, I hope it's going okay, praying for you. He walks with us. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's, he's with me. I stay with him. And so even though, even though this is where I'm at, even though this is where we are, even though this is how dark it is, I will not fear, for you are with me. And then he goes on to describe the shepherd a little bit more. And he's still talking to God. He says, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some scholars believe that the, the shepherds of those days carried two different instruments or tools. Some believe it's one instrument used for multiple purposes. But David says it's the rod and the staff of the good shepherd that brings him comfort. The rod was a, was a club, a scepter. It represents protection. The shepherd would use his rod to beat wild animals off, away from the sheep, to protect them, to fight for them. This is the picture that, that David's giving us of the God, the shepherd that he had learned to follow. He says, even though I'm going through this and it's dark and it's scary and there's danger all around me, David says, he's fighting for me. He's protecting me from whatever is out there in the dark. But he says it's the rod and also the staff. The staff, it represents support and care. The shepherd would often use his, his staff to 
to just gently nudge his sheep, to let them know that he was close by. Sometimes he would use the staff to point them out and count his sheep to make sure that he didn't lose one or one hadn't wandered off. The shepherd would often use the the staff to just pull the sheep back in and help them avoid danger. And David says, the shepherd watches me, the shepherd protects me, the shepherd comforts me with his rod and his staff. It's interesting how we use that word staff in a number of ways. And if it really represents support, which I think it does, I just want to tell you guys, we have got the most incredible staff at the chapel. As soon as as soon as we shared what was going on with Carter, Eric reached out to the elders, our elders, who are our overseers of the, of the church. They said, Todd, take some time off. You need to be there. You need to be all there for Carter. And then our staff, man, our pastors, our team, they just, they just covered it all. They just took care of everything because they care. And then, and then beyond that, all of our volunteers and all of you, many, of, many people that once you found out a little bit of what was going on, and I know you don't know all the details, and I'm happy to share if you want to talk more, but you just reached out with love and care and support. And when you're going through the deep, dark valley, that's... You just need to know that the Lord is with you. And you need to know that somebody's watching out for you, protecting you, and you need to know that somebody cares and they're there for you. And our, our staff has been there. And, and David is saying, and David is saying, man, I was walking through the valley and I had the staff of the Lord himself comforting me. And then there's a scene change here. In the midst of this deep, dark valley, all of a sudden, David, he's still talking to God, but he starts to look at God not just as the good shepherd, but as a gracious host. Look at what he says. He says, and you, God, in the midst of the valley, guys, catch this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This table that he's talking about, it has all the 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 picture of a grand feast and celebration. I like the way that Steve Lawson puts it. He says the word prepare here means to arrange, to set in order, to set in place, to ordain. He says here God is understood to be setting the table before David and putting everything into its right place. The dishes are perfectly positioned. The drink is poured. The meal is cooked and served. Every detail has been given the strictest attention and nothing that David could possibly want has been overlooked or omitted. The Lord has prepared a table. I mean... David saw himself as we ought to see ourselves. We are the servants of God. But here, in the middle of the deep, dark valley, David says, my God is serving me. And he says, in the midst, in the presence of my enemies, it's like 
David realized, like, there they are. They're coming. And David had points in his life, literally, where he was hiding out amidst the rocks for fear of his life. And David is testifying here, and he says, listen, in the middle of all that, with my enemies all surrounding me, it's like God was saying, don't worry about them right now. You're protected, you're cared for. Come here. Come here. And just sit down. And rest. And eat. Be refueled. In the middle of the valley. You know, I'll tell you, I hate the valley. I want out of the valley so bad. I want Carter out of the valley so bad. And we're doing everything we possibly can. But if we're not careful, because sometimes the valley is a long valley, friends. And some of you, you know it. You've been there. It's like, when is this ever going to end? I think of David's other prayers in the Psalms when he said, How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? Sometimes it's real dark, and sometimes the valley is long. And so what God does is he says, listen, you're not through it. It's going to be a while. So I'm just going to prepare a table for you. So you can rest, so you can be refueled, so you can be with me, so that you can keep going. He prepares a table before us. Sometimes the, the table that the Lord prepares for us is just some quiet time reading God's Word, and it's like we feast on truth, and that truth latches onto our hearts and it regrounds us and it gives us hope again. And some of you, you've sent scriptures to me and it's given Lisa and I hope. Sometimes the table that the Lord prepares for you in the midst of your valley, it's, it's a song of worship that comes on the radio or a, or a YouTube clip of a song that somebody sends you. One of the most powerful things that's happened over this time, you know, usually our, our girls, Laney and Gracie, they're off at college, and this has been hard for them to be away. And usually Lisa and I are the ones, like, sending them little notes of encouragement or sending them a song. And you know what's happened in this time? They've become, they become our parents. Our kids are shepherding us. Our kids... Lady Grace, they're sending us prayers and they're sending us songs. Mom, listen, you, have to, you guys have to listen to this song today. And, and we click play and it just, it just fuels you. It just refreshes you. It just breathes hope. That's the table that the Lord has prepared. Sometimes the, the table that the Lord prepares for you is just an honest conversation with a friend who, who doesn't try to explain things or fix things. They just let you be you. They let you be real. They let you be raw. And they just, they just cry with you. And that's the table that the Lord prepares. You know, we all need those tables in the midst of our valleys. And you know what else? We need to be table setters for other people. Because that's what we're seeing is like, the table that the Lord has set 
has often looked a whole lot like something that someone else has done for us. And it means everything. Sometimes the table that the Lord sets for us is just a, a walk in His creation or an afternoon nap in the midst of the valley. He just wants to give us some rest. Or, and then David, David goes on. He says, not only does he set this table before us in the presence of our enemies, then David says, and he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. There could be a number of meanings here, but I think at least two uh, are worth our consideration. Remember, David moves from talking about God to talking to God, and he sees now God as more than just the good shepherd, but as a gracious host. And here he could be referring to that which a host would do when someone came as a guest and they would have been traveling and they weren't driving in their minivan. They were, they were walking or they were on horse or they were on donkey and they had been through the elements of the day, the dirt, the grime, the sand, the hot summer heat, and they would arrive at the host's home sweaty and smelly and dirty it's why in that day and age, oftentimes they would get a call for a servant to wash the guest's feet when they entered the home. Why? Because they were dirty and it stunk. And oftentimes a host would anoint the head of his guests with an oil that would have a sweet fragrance to it that would cover the body odors. It would bring refreshment into the room. But David also may have been referring to when he was anointed as king, when David, who was a shepherd, let's not forget that, he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he had done these things for his sheep. And now he was realizing and reminding us that this is what God does for us as, as we are his sheep. And David says, David, who, who moved from being a simple shepherd that nobody thought about to being anointed as the king over Israel. The anointing, it, it represents both refreshment and refueling, but it, it also represents empowerment for your calling, for your mission, for what God wants to use you to do. And so David is reminding himself and he's reminding us, the Lord is my shepherd and he anoints my head with oil. He takes care of the sweat and the grime. And he empowers me with the power of his spirit for the journey ahead. Even if, even though the journey might lead you through the valley. And remember David said, my cup overflows. Steve Lawson puts it this way. He says, David was not given mere mercy drops from heaven, but a deluge of grace, far more than he could ever comprehend. And in the midst of our dark valley, and I pray in the midst of your dark valley, whenever it was, whenever it will be, whatever it will be, that you, like us, will be deluged, overcome, with grace, that your cup will overflow 
That it won't just be a, here's just a little bit to get by. That it'll just be an ocean of hope, of grace, of strength. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd. Is he? Because, uh, you guys, if, if you're in a valley or when you face a valley, if you want to have hope, if you want to know that there's tables being set for you, if you want to experience greener pastures, if you want to have a deep sense of contentment and peace no matter what's going on around you, all of the promises of Psalm 23 are predicated on that very first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, not a shepherd, not the shepherd, but mine, yours. To make the Lord your shepherd is to say, I'm a sheep and I'm not the shepherd. I'm not the captain of my own soul. To make the Lord your shepherd is to say, man, I've gone the wrong way way too many times or I'm in some Valleys that I, I have no idea how to handle and I'm not depending on myself anymore. In fact, sometimes the, the valleys that we've ended up in are our own valleys that we've dug because of our own choices. And to, 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 to call on the Lord as our personal shepherd is to say, I'm tired, I can't do it, I've gone the wrong way, I've sinned and gone against you, I cannot do this I'm turning my life over to you, Jesus. You lead my life. You forgive my sins. You come into my life and lead and guide me. And wherever you lead, even though, I will follow. And if you're here this weekend and you, God is out there and he's not here, I want to challenge you to call out to Jesus, just to say, Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Lead me. Don't leave here before you make that decision. You can do it right where you're sitting, right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. Forgive me. Take over my life. Lead me. For some of us, we're in the dark valley and we're filled with fear. Man, at least we've been overwhelmed with fear. We have. I've feared the worst. But David said, because the Lord is my shepherd, because he's with me, I don't have to fear. It means that there's a choice. It means we can bring our fears to him. So whatever you're fearing, just bring it to Jesus. And finally, if you're in the midst of the valley, Keep your eyes open. Because the Lord, the Good Shepherd, has prepared a table for you. And today, the table that He has prepared for us is what we call communion. Communion.